Let us turn back to the portion we have been reading. The letter to the Hebrews, centering your attention tonight on a portion in chapter 3. At the beginning of chapter 3, we find these words. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. And looking at these words in their context, and again, we trust as the Lord enables us. Well, by way of introduction, notice first of all who is being addressed here. He speaks of them as holy brethren and partakers of the heavenly calling. It's true the world speaks of the words of Robbie Burns as brothers worldwide, universal brotherhood and a universal fatherhood. Scripture doesn't brings before us a fatherhood of those who are united with Christ by faith, a brotherhood of those who are united with one another in that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that way they are partakers of that heavenly calling, effectually called by the Spirit, so that they are enabled to lean the weight of their never-dying soul security <coughs> on the passion and the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You notice also we are to consider the apostle of our confession. The word <coughs> apostle means sent one. Christ was the sent one. Sent by the Father. To take our nature, and in that nature, in the words, timeless words of William Cunningham, which I so much love, to bring forth the righteousness that the righteousness of God required him to require of us. And he has fulfilled that remit so fully. The sent one. He is the sent one of the Father to reveal the Father to us. To reveal the character of the Father to us. Notice that remember that he himself could say to Philip, He that hath seen me has seen the Father. To, make, to speak that last word of the Father to us, of the grace of the holy love of God to sinners in Christ and him crucified. The apostle or prophet of our confession, of our profession, the one whom we profess to receive as our saviour, the one who is sent by God to reveal God, the prophet to teach us the will of God for our salvation. And the high priest of our confession. Well, whereas the prophet operates in a way that reveals God to us 
matters pertaining to God are revealed to us in Christ. Whereas that is the case with the prophet, with the priest, it's the other way. He reveals to us, he, 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 he speaks for us. Whereas the prophet speaks, he speaks for God, revealing God to us. And as the priest, he speaks for his people. In matters pertaining to God, he deals for his people in matters pertaining to God. He is the one who brings forth that righteousness that God requires of them, which they cannot produce themselves. He has come to do that in their Roman place in this matter pertaining to God regarding their sin. <coughs> it is a ministry of holiness and it is a ministry of mercy. Indeed, you can join these together in Christ and Him crucifying. It is a ministry of revealing to us the holy love of God. It is a ministry as the high priest of bringing forth the righteousness that is required of us that we might know that enjoyment of God as my God and Father which art in heaven. Well, having spoken these words by way of introduction, let us look at our text. We are to consider the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to take stock of them. And we're going to try and do that this night, and very cursorily, because each and every part of this consideration requires several sermons on its own. But we are going to seek to consider him, first of all, in the glory that belongs to him as the one who is the essential son of God that glory that belongs to him in that status and then secondly we are going to consider him in the indignities that he encountered as the saint apostle and then thirdly we're trying to look at the sufferings that he endured as the high priest and then fourthly the glory that he has now been elevated to as the God man as the mediator elevated to in our natures and then a word of application and you can see that each of these, as I said, extensive areas needing much more minute attention than we will be able to give this night. A bird's eye view, as it were, of these great areas of Scripture. In that order, then, first of all, that essential glory that belongs to him as the Son of God. Well, he is a spirit. And as our catechism tells us, infant, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. Infinite in his being. 
He has life in himself and derived from any other. He is the one from whom we must derive life. Every breath put into our nostrils comes from him. Temporary and spiritual. He is the one who is glorious in his attributes. Attributes that we speak of as communicable. Holiness, justice, goodness, truth. Man is to have in a measure some of these, but attributes that are incommunicable. He is eternal. He is infinite. He is unchangeable. He is the creator God. Without him was not anything made that was made. He is the one who we are contained within the creation, within the universe. He envelops the universe. He envelops space. Before him, we are as grasshoppers, and he sits on the circumference of the earth as it were. He is the one who is one of the glorious persons of the triune God, enjoying perfect fellowship within that uh, community. Uh, that community where each and every one of the persons delights in the perfections and the quintessences of one another. What more can we say? He is the glorious second person of the triune God. And then let us consider him as the one who took our nature and the one who in our nature is set before us in our text as the apostle, the sent one, the prophet, to reveal <coughs> God to us in his character. And let us consider the <coughs> injuries, the indignities that he encountered in uh, being that sent apostle. His ministry is a ministry of, of truth and of grace, of grace and of truth. And these two must always be so, they must always go together. Because he, 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 even in the cross that is so, the holiness of God such that he spared not his own son, the mercy of God such that he spared not his own son in a Roman place. Holiness and mercy joined together in him, a ministry of, holy, of truth, of holiness, a ministry of mercy, of grace. But in that ministry of grace, first of all, let us look at some of the indignities that he encountered as the apostle, as the sent one. Well, there was first of all misunderstanding. Misunderstanding even from one who was so close to him. Even from John the Baptist. There was that occasion when it would seem, I can't put it stronger than that, it would seem that John the Baptist 
began to question within himself, was this truly the sent Messiah? Was this truly the sent apostle? Looks like John was looking for one who would who would be more stern in his dealing with sin. But the mercifulness of Christ seems to have puzzled him. And he sent him with the words, a delegation to Christ, art thou he that should come, or look we for another? We find the words in Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 11. And uh, in the response of Jesus, we see these words. Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. And blessed is he who is not offended in me. Surely these words speak of, Oh, there was a wee bit of hurtfulness there in Yes, one was a close friend and a believing friend, but a wee bit of offence there, a wee bit of hurt to him. Blessed is he who is not offended in me. Misunderstanding. But the indignity, when we speak of indignities, yes, there was soreness there, but um, I'm thinking particularly of the slanderous misconstructions that were put upon his words. You see, as the minister of grace, he preached to the poor. He preached to the social outcasts. He preached to those who were the social disreputable. He came close to them. And in coming close to them, fault was found for him. And he was spoken of with a sneer by many that he was the friend of publicans and sinners. And uh, he was described as being gluttonous and a winebibber, a drunkard. And even it was ascribed to him that his works were of satanic uh, agency. Oh, how sore that must be to the Son of God in our nature that it was by Beelzebub that he should perform his miracles. Indignities that were laid to him there then in these slanderous misconstructions. And then there was the enmity of the scribes and Pharisees also um, as they saw him coming so close to these social outcasts and so on without speaking a word to them. His very behavior was speaking to them that their attitude, which was so different, they stood aloof. They preened themselves in their own self-righteousness. They would not go near publicans and sinners. 
and um, Christ's very behaviour was tacitly saying to them that that sort of exclusiveness, that sort of purported holiness with its exclusiveness and its hypocrisy was counterfeit, was not real at all. And that was so to them. That they would not have. And therefore they were they were opposed to him with a bitter hatred and a bitter contradiction. And he suffered great indignities at their hands. That then is in as the, as the saint one in his ministry of grace uh, to his own generation, the misunderstandings of even of believers, um, even his own disciples didn't fully understand him. That must have been a great cause of loneliness to him. The slanderous misconstructions of those who were offended at his approach to those whom they disdained and the contradictions that ended up in his being put to the cross by the scribes and Pharisees because his very behaviour called their behaviour into great question. Uh, that's the apostle then in his ministry of grace but there was also with him a ministry of truth. The two went together as we've been saying and as the minister of truth um, he put the plummet of truth to the line he applied that plummet of truth to the to the life of his own day he applied that plummet of truth to the life of the church of his own day mainly the scribes and Pharisees And he was not slow in showing them the, that their behavior <coughs> was uh, not a law-keeping behavior as they would have it themselves, but that they were making the law of God void by their hypocrisy by the adding to the law that God had given the law of man you can find that when you come to Matthew 23 for example the way he, the way he, he put the plummet of truth so clearly to them Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Look through the chapter again yourselves later this evening. He called to question, he called to question their false Christianity. And that led, that led to the opposition that eventuated in the cross. They would not have him to question them. Indignities then that he that he met 
as the apostle of grace and yes the sufferings that he met also as the prophet of truth he was the he was a prophet he is a prophet as an apostle he's a prophet and just like the prophets of the old testament he would bring truth to bear upon the life of his own generation and then thirdly and we can only touch on this the sufferings that he endured as the high priest of the church I think we can mention two areas first area is the identifying with his people sympathizing with his people they that are sanctified and he who is the sanctifier are both of one that he identified with his people as we read in uh, the very beginning of our reading there this night in chapter 2 and verse 14 <clears throat> for we have become <clears throat> Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him, he shared in the same. He identified closely with them. He sympathized with them in their lowest. He was he entered into our experience fully, except with the, that he was without sin. And as one who identified with his people fully, uh, he lived by faith. He's the pioneer of faith. And uh, as we touched on already this morning, as one who lived by faith, he was subject to temptation. And as we touched on again already this morning, temptation brought great uh, tension, great suffering into his experience. You and I, eh, too often we yield at the first stroke of temptation. But Christ did not yield. He was sinless and he would not yield. He could not sin, but nevertheless, he, in resisting, he entered into the tension that was part and partial of opposing, resisting that temptation. Think of, for example, in the wilderness, he was tempted of the devil the 40 days uh, in the wilderness, command the stones to be made into bread, and he was full of hunger. And as he resisted, the hunger pains increased and increased. There was suffering there, but that's only a small part of it. The temptation with him, although sinless and unable to sin, he bore sufferings in identifying with his own, in living by faith with them, and in enduring temptation as part and partial of that living by faith. That's one aspect then of, of his sufferings, the part and partial of identifying with his people, sympathizing with his people. Just you can see that um, 
Remember the woman with the issue of blood who came and uh, touched him, touched the hem of his garment. And we are told virtue went out of him. Energy went out of him, as it were, in his sympathy with that woman. You see it a little in, in, in with this college uh, thing that we have uh, in our experience in the last couple of years. Our <coughs> hospitals full of college patients and nurses and doctors dealing with patients entering into into death alone, lonely grievously so. and it has touched it has touched the emotions of our nurses and doctors it's touched, it's touched their feelings it's they felt the soreness of it this identifying with the, those whom they treated oh, it's a small way little in comparison with Christ identifying with his own see in, in, in Isaiah it says he bore our sicknesses well, with no experience that he was sick himself, but surely this is part of it. He bore sympathetically with those who did have these ailments, and he could feel the pain that was part and partial of that sympathy. That's one aspect of his priesthood, identifying he that is sanctified, he that they that are sanctified, and he that sanctifies, they are both of one. But when we come to the sufferings of his priesthood, it's a, it's a sacrifice. And we could go into it this being made sin. He's the sin bearer from the moment of conception. And the, that increases in weight as he goes along to come to his being made sin particularly on the cross itself and particularly in the three years of darkness when he bore the wrath and curse of God due to his people as sinners he bore their hell he bore their damnation and he did it lovingly. He bore that damnation in himself. And um, if you or I go into a lost eternity, and may the Lord in his mercy avert that, then we shall bear that wrath and curse, that damnation of God, that hell due to us extensively throughout all the ages of eternity. But the Son of God bore that wrath and curse intensively in a limited duration of time in himself. It was as if the vials of wrath were concentrated into and one concentration and poured in that limited duration of time upon him there in the cross. And who can enter into the sufferings that were there on his part in the Roman place of his people. 
He bore that curse. The curse of God is the opposite of the blessing of God. The blessing of God has come, ye blessed, be spoken to his people at the end. The curse of God is departed, cursed. Christ bore the equivalent of that departed, cursed in the Roman place of his people. I say equivalent because there is not a full identity. He did not experience despair. And that will be part of the hell of his people, of, 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 of the lost. But although he didn't bear that, there was an equivalent anguish and agony that was there in what he bore in the Roman place in bearing their damnation. And he could say, there it is finished. It is finished. All that was required of him. All that was required of him in Adam before he fell, that perfect obedience of his life was there. But all that was required of him in Adam, in us in Adam, after, after we sinned in him, the penalty due to us, and the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die, that penalty must be his. He fulfilled the remit completely. What was required of us in unfallen Adam, what's required of us in fallen Adam, it is finished. And then we read it in Philippians, wherefore, because he has finished that work, God has rewarded you. That brings us to the last point. He has been raised up to enjoy as the God-man, to enjoy in your nature and mine the glory that he had been enjoying from all eternity as the essential Son of God. That's what he prays in the intercessory prayer. Glorify thou me with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. The glory that I had with thee as the Son, with the Father. Now glorify thou me as the Son, but in the human nature also. In our nature. And he is raised up thus. As Rabbi Duncan put it, the dust of the earth at the helm of the universe. And all power is given to him in earth and in heaven. And he reigns until all enemies will be made a footstool to his feet. Well, that is touch that's really cutting across glorious areas of scriptures. The essential glory that belongs to him. And then as the sent one the indignities that he suffered as the apostle, as the prophet, and then the sufferings that he endured as the priest, and then the glory to which he has been elevated in our nature. And all that brings us by way of application. And the first application is that hold fast your profession. See, the writer to the Hebrews is writing to those who were tempted they had professed faith in Christ but they were now being tempted to go back to the old practices of Judaism with its material temple 
with its uh, with its own particular priesthood and so on, all its rights and and in doing so they would be going away from Christ. They would be <coughs> going back to the ceremonial law which Christ had fulfilled. And um, Paul is saying to them, Old fast your profession. Hold fast your hold on Christ, or better still, hold fast to his hold on you within that covenant of grace. And that's still to us too, to hold fast our profession. We are such in, so greatly indebted. And see that there not be in, not in any of us an evil heart of unbelief. And that we would be prayerfully, therefore, at the throne of grace to be kept from all that's within ourselves that would lead us astray. That we would be kept close to him. That we would be enabled to witness a good confession. That we would be shown progressively more and more what is in our own hearts. By the whole, by the same spirit now. Because Sin has that effect of hiding from us its own nature. And we need to have the nature of sin that's within us revealed to us. And there's that prayer that must be there, show me myself. Not as an end in itself, because that can only bring despair. But in order that we might see something of our need and bring that need to the one who is altogether sufficient to meet that need that we might live by faith upon him, that we might be conformed more and more to his character and image. Well, these are uh, some of the ones that are there. We are exhorted to encourage one another, to exhort one another when we err and to do so in love, but to encourage one another when we come up against difficulties that we might continue in the work of the Lord. And there's one final, final application that must be here also. Because in that finished work of cross of the cross, surely there's that word that comes from heaven to the earnest burden seeker, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found an answer. Try to speak already this day of any in our midst who might be in that no man's land, not of the world, not of the church, not able to do, unbosom himself to any other, finding it a very disturbing and convicting situation, not finding comfort, corruptions of the world drawing him apart, drawing him one side, the convictions of the truth drawing him in another. A tug of war, a man torn, torn, torn to, in two pieces as it were. There is that word that we spoke already. Come unto me all that labour and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. But there is here also, implicitly here tonight, deliverance, the word that comes from heaven to the burdened sinner. Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. That ransom is in Christ. He has paid the price. Not to save him. But to 
the requirements of God and God's holiness have been fully met there in the Roman place of sinners who lean, who are enabled, who lean the weight of their never dying soul security on the passion and the finished work of Christ. There, there is security. I appeal to you, as Scripture appeals to you, look unto him. Cast your lot there. Seek grace. Seek the enabling of the Spirit of God that you might enter into that glorious responsibility of being crossed in with the Christ of God in whom the ransom that your soul needs is fully made and there is redemption to the uttermost. Plenteous redemption is ever found with him and from all his iniquities the Israel shall redeem his prayer. <coughs> Gracious God, what more couldst thou have done than thou hast done? Thou hast given thine own begotten Son to take bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, to enter into the offices of prophet, priest, yes, and king, for he now reigns. Who is a God like unto thee that pardons iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? Who would not hold anger forever, because he delights in mercy. Make him precious to us in his passion, in his finished work, in the sufficiency and suitability of his blood-bought grace. And help us to walk more closely, more dependently upon his grace. <coughs> Help us to be living that life of dependence on grace, that life that would then be more submissive to thy holy will. And take away all iniquity for his name's sake. Amen. <coughs> Psalm 130. <clears throat> Noticing particularly these words in the last verse, plenteous redemption is ever found with him, and from all his iniquities. Israel shall redeem. Lord, from the depths to thee I cry, the whole song. Lord, from the